It's a good show on Sports Center 5 of the Fan. I'm J.D. Bunkus. It's shocking how fast your skills can atrophy when you take some time off in this business. Let's see if that's happened to our next guest, Justin Bourne. <laughs> I was going to say, Predators wait, Ridge. I'm the one who just took time off. <laughs> so did I, though. That's oh, why I was thinking about it. Yes, I just took off five days or four days. I can't even remember. But it's hilarious because you just take a couple of days off and you get ready to crack a mic and you go, oh, my God, I don't know anything about sports anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like it's I, all gone. Yeah. I've just it's been wild. like cramming for the test. You know, this yes. is my. Uh, <laughs> I've been away from hockey for a week or ten days or whatever it's been, and like so much is going on. Yep. So I've spent the last I don't know, eighteen hours trying to catch up and everything. So I, I think I'm back. I'm up to speed now. Well, it's weird though, right? Because sports obviously we're here because it's a passion, right? So even yes. during your leisure time, you're paying attention to sports. Hundred percent. But the amount you have to pay attention to be. Uh, professional I would say in this day and age where there, it's this competitive is astronomical people are, I this is not a complaint I love what I do but the amount of work that you have to do is I believe shocking to some people when for the most part I think they just look at it as well you just watch games and then talk about them how hard is that and you're like okay that's fine well that's cool. I feel like back in the day you didn't have to know about the salary cap and yeah. the CBA and, you know, like that sort of stuff. It was Ugh. just like, yeah, watch the game. That guy's good. That guy's bad. But yeah. uh, more he is sucks. Expected. And actually you <laughs> totally determined the discourse around a player, right? Your one <laughs> yeah. platform was the one voice of whether this player was good or not. And now that doesn't appear to be the case. So, yeah, it's been a busy – I think it's going to get even more busy. You've got to imagine in the coming days here, the sports center is labeled as GM week which I think is appropriate, which, of course, puts the um, eye on the most famous, uh, well, maybe not most famous, but certainly most scrutinized general manager in all of sports, and that's Kyle Dubas. So let's just start with this. How do you think the Leafs have done? What have you made of the Leafs' last few days, the trade for McCann, and the decisions that they made with their protection list? Well, here's one of those things where... You know, you don't want to sound like someone who's uh, got too much trust in in hockey people or the rest because we know that oftentimes there are glaring mistakes being made. But, like, I always feel when it comes to these protected lists and the strategy behind a lot of it that we're missing some information. Like, mm-hmm. I know the people who work in research and development for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's Daryl Metcalf and Rob Pettipiece and Cam Sharon and Bruce Peter. I know these people and the time and effort they put <clears throat> into thinking about this stuff. And they're not idiots. They're really good at this stuff. So when I look at what they did with, for Jared McCann, I, I understand, you know, I'm trying to find, you know, the angle. Like, what, what were they seeing here? And in a sense... You know, I think they've put the Toronto Maple Leafs in a position where after the uh, Seattle expansion draft, they're going to have lost what was basically Hallander in a seventh, which, okay. You know, we're probably okay with that as a loss in an expansion draft. Or it's going to be Kerfoot and you've upgraded at that position. Or it's going to be Dermot or Hall and all of a sudden you've added to your forward depth and you have the opportunity to replace a, a D-man who was making a little bit of money Um and was a good player. I think in the end, that's probably harder to replace. A guy like Holler Dermott, who is making 2 or 1.5 and could contribute as better than a third-pair quality guy, I think they just deemed that a harder position to replace, and that's why they tried to go and get McCann. And that's why, if I'm Seattle, I like this move for Dubas, because if they liked McCann, you've put them in a position where now they probably liked Dermott as well. Dermott's contract and who he is... so. I actually, while you were gone, was debating the idea of, are we really sure you want to protect Hall over Dermott? If you're going 4-4, four and four, who's the fourth defenseman? Is it Justin Hall when he makes more money than Dermott? Is there that much of a gap between the two players? Where, where I came down on it was they made the right call, that we can say all these things about trying to find defensemen to play next to Muzzin and how basically you can just throw a corpse there and it works. But here's the thing. You actually know Justin Hall can play around 20 minutes next to Jake Muzzin and have it be above average top four. I you actually have a blue line. Exactly. You have something that works and he's the only right shot defenseman that you have and he's on a fine contract. And all of a sudden, if you have to replace that with two million bucks, well, like honestly, you're looking at Bogosian. 
Bogosian just got a million bucks from the Leafs, right? And he apparently wants a little bit more for the season that he put together, rightfully, wrongfully so. That's the type of caliber guy that you're getting around that price tag. So Mm -hmm. ultimately, I think protecting Justin Hall was fine. And had they left him exposed, I don't know if it's a more attractive piece for Seattle. Like I could think that they would value Dermott more. But to the Toronto Maple Leafs, I think Justin Hall is more valuable than Travis Dermott is right now while they're in a competitive and winning cycle. And so they made the right call there. But I agree with you. Like, I see the thing about losing Hallander, although last year I've already joked about this. Everyone said that he was an incredible coup to get in the trade. And Hollander, Hollander, there's a lot of people saw Hollander, I guess. And then this year he gets traded and people are like, oh, it's nothing. The Leafs gave up nothing in this trade yeah. to get this guy. So I still believe that the most likely outcome is that McCann is on this team. Because if I'm the Kraken, I would just think that it's easier to get a guy like McCann than it is to find someone like Dermott who could con- conceivably play up in your top four at basically no money next year. Like, I, I don't know. That's just the way that I look at it. it like, if you're Toronto right now, who you're obviously hoping that Kerfoot gets picked, but the reason why I think they made the McCann trade is that they don't believe he's getting picked. The idea that Seattle is going to spend $3.5 million on a depth forward when there's this much money out there and when they keep talking about coveting salary cap room, I, like, I think it's a pipe dream. Maybe it happens. It has to be a side deal, but I, I don't see it. If you could just pick between I don't see McCann any way they take Kerfoot. No, God. I, dude, the more I sat down with this, the more I looked at it, and people kept groaning about how the Leafs should have done 7-3-1 so that Kerfoot was exposed and McCann wasn't and they didn't have the choice. And it's like, well, if they do 7-3-1, they're going to take a defenseman. Like, there's no amount of breaking this thing down where there's a halfway competent player available for the crack in the pick from Seattle and they're taking Alex Kerfoot. Like, look at the money that's out there. And also, dude, I, I mentioned this just with the guys. Um, how many teams want to get off bad contracts and look at Seattle as a place they could do that? Ron right. Francis is an idiot. He's not just going to be like, oh, sure, I'll take Alex Kerfoot for a fourth-round pick. Like, yeah, that's a good – no. It was probably going to cost quite a lot. And if you ask now to sacrifice draft pick capital to move Alex Kerfoot off the books, you've now turned turning Nazem Kadri into a disastrous season from Tyson Berry, a okay performance from Kerfoot in one playoffs, but having less points over two seasons or the same amount of points over two seasons as guys like Joe Thornton in his 40s, and then a negative draft pick for a team that (laughs) desperately needs draft picks, like, that's beyond the pale at this point. So, Mm -hmm. if you're just looking at it between those two guys right now, let's just put it that way, those two guys, McCann or Dermott, who are you hoping the Leafs keep? Well, that's that's a good question, and you know, I think I'm leaning towards I'd rather see Dermot go. I know you're a Dermot guy. You know, I just see this team now as having such a good top four and Rasmus Sandin sitting in the five spot there, right? Like, it, you know, it, it they're really, really good on the back end. It just feels to me like their scoring dried up in the end in the playoffs. And, you know, this is a guy who can play center and wing and he's versatile and, you know, he's so- solid defensively. Like, I like Dermot. I'm a Dermot guy. I actually made the case that maybe he should be one of the guys who was protected uh, earlier in the year when we were having these conversations. But I think I'd rather have them keep McCann at, at 2.9. Mm-hmm. I so this is a tricky one in terms of value for me it's like who has more value you just mm-hmm. picked up McCann for very little and I get it that you picked him up because the team was over a barrel a little bit but other groups could have had a similar opportunity to go out and get McCann at what appears to be a pretty cheap price point um, he's fine to me um, I don't watch every Penguins game, but I have watched them in the playoffs the last few years, and he's had zero goals in 12 games. And I know that's just 12 games, but when the Leafs are looking for guys that have that playoff pedigree or that killer instinct, this guy has zero goals in 12 playoff games, and his thing is supposed to be, or at least one of his things is supposed to be his shot. So I I think that there's an attraction to falling in love with the new thing as a fan and saying yeah. this is going to all of a sudden change the team when ultimately McCann is is probably just fine. A cheaper version of Alex Kerfoot that gives you a little bit more offensively and a little less defensively. But of course you'd love to keep him over Kerfoot because 600 grand means a lot to this team. What I liked about the move for McCann 
in giving up Hallander and the seventh is if they do take him, and by him I mean McCann, you've got to believe that Dermott has more value than a seventh-round pick and, and Hallander, right? Like, mm-hmm. this has to be the ultimate part of the play, is that either you ended up with a piece for cheap in McCann, or you keep Dermott and now you can trade him from a position of a little bit more leverage. Yeah. Yeah, that's an option too, for sure. The You know... Here's what I think about how this all came to be. First, well, obviously the expansion draft and trying to, you know, recognize your team trying to get better, not worse. You can't afford to just sit there, do nothing, and, you know, let your team lose a guy and and think you're going to be a better team. Uh, Not going to happen. But I think the assessment that appears to have been made on this Leafs team is that they were unlucky. I think yeah. that Kyle Dubas still believes in this team. I think he sees the John Tavares injury and says, we definitely get by Montreal if we have our $11 million point-per-game center who's on our top power play unit. Like, we were, you know, a couple games at overtime. We're right there. Like, I think he thinks they get by him. And then he sees what Montreal does, and I think he talks himself into, and maybe rightly or wrongly, I'm not even saying it's wrong, Maybe he talks himself into going, God, like we had that kind of team. That could have been us if we just were, weren't so unlucky. Maybe we don't need to blow this thing up. Maybe we don't need to be different because look at that decor right now for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it's good. And I, I think that that is the assessment that, you know, as much as Dermot might be a trade piece, like you mentioned, like that there would be value there, I think he likes what they have on the back end and wants to keep that the same. Yeah. I could also, I was going to say, I could also see a scenario where they bring Sandine up, have him play the left side and finally give Dermot the full season as the right shot third pairing blue liner right yeah like i yeah. i don't think that's outside you know the specter of possibility and then sign another guy that's a bogosian light right that maybe you have to go a little bit cheaper than a bogosian but you have a depth defenseman who's actually your 7th d who is a right shot guy and has a bit of a heavier game maybe that's the play who knows um i agree to an extent of the luck thing and I guess my biggest caution is that I is comparing yourselves to the Montreal Canadiens and about that series. You were decidedly not. Right, exactly. So I do think that there was an element of luck in losing to Montreal and that, you know, things didn't go against them. And while there was uh, two things can be true thing, the luck definitely happened. But I also believe very, very strongly the Leafs showed where they're at with their development right now as star players in that game seven when they couldn't generate offense with a line that is paid um, more than I believe any other line in hockey. Like that has to be taken into account too, that they could not impose their will And sports. So much is like the, who dictates the pace, you know, who dictates the style of fight, who dictates um, their style of play. And for Toronto to not be able to do that, even down a man in a game seven against Montreal, that, that has to mean something too. Even if the luck part of it is definitely real, that has to be a part of it. But the other is just when you're measuring yourself against these other groups, it's just so very clear to me that the depth amongst the forward groups puts them in a position where if they do have one game in an elimination game where their top line can't produce, where they can't dictate, that no one else has a hope of doing it. And so you're just hoping and praying just like everybody else for a bounce, but except all of a sudden other teams have more depth to get that bounce and you're in a really precarious position. So... I just I understand Kyle Dubas's position if that is it. Mm-hmm. I understand the Leafs' position if that's it. But to me, the idea of losing Zach Hyman, trying to replace him with a lesser player, and then going into a year where you're relying on more of a question marks around your goaltenders and potentially having less depth, I don't know what that actually makes you. And that brings me to this, this last point on the, uh, the Kerfoot element of this. So everyone's talking about Kerfoot of like they need to get the money off the books, they need to get the money off the books. And I agree, like ultimately you wish you could do something better than that. But the other part of the McCann trade was realizing that, okay, so Alex Kerfoot is overpaid, right? And we can agree that he's overpaid. But really, he and McCann are like comparable players. You can compare the two and say this guy's this and this guy's that and who you'd want in a must-win game without any salary attached to either guy. It would be a debate. And so... Sure maybe Kerfoot be. right now, but that, all I'm saying is like maybe Kerfoot right now is overpaid by 600 grand, and so the idea that the Leafs would just get off his contract and all of a sudden be able to supplement this roster with a whole bunch of else, I feel like that's a little, um, 
that that we convinced ourselves of something that might not be true either. That like mm-hmm. Alex Kerfoot coming off the books, hey, uh, it actually might not just solve all your problems. And part of this unwillingness of Dubas to maybe deal draft pick capital or prospect capital to get the Kerfoot contract off the books is that he is realizing the same thing. Yeah, I know that when we talked about Kerfoot going into last season and how important he was going to be to this team, I think us on this show and a lot of fans got frustrated that he didn't fulfill or realize some potential that really vaulted the the Leafs' depth to a new level. You know, expectations were high for him, and, you know, maybe, I don't know if I want to say we gave up on him, but it looked like he wasn't going to get to where where a lot of fans hoped he would get to. You know, but what we saw from him in the postseason is like, you're right. Now when you start thinking about Kerfoot and who is going to come in at 2.9 or, you know, whatever's cheaper, you know, even if it's a better player at 3.5, I don't know that that's just sitting out there because he showed what he can be and what he is versus Jared McCann is. Alice Kerfoot is pretty consistent. He's a smart player. Um, you know, he you kind of know what you're going to get, and now he can kill penalties. That wasn't an element of his game when he came to Toronto, and they've kind of uh, taught him that, and he's realized his potential there. So, you know, yeah, I, I don't know how easily you go out and replace that those same abilities cheaper. You know, McCann is definitely the more talented, bigger player, so you think the upside's there, but he's streaky. He is very inconsistent, and... You know, you mentioned his playoff stats. If this is the streaky, inconsistent guy who has talent and upside and yada yada, boy, in the playoffs, that just feels like more of the same. You know, it, it kind of brings me back to the idea where it was like the Leafs need, you know, kill, you know, these guys to get over the hump. They need some veterans. And then they went and got every veteran who's never won a Stanley Cup after 20 years in the league. <laughs> you know, it kind of feels like that. Like McCann feels like kind of more of the same in a way. Yeah. To, to me, ultimately, though, what it is is like, Don't you think part of this has to do with if Dubas was going to trade, say, Marner, right? Just because he's the most popular name from fans who people want him traded. And it changes the complexion of the team the most. Do you think that an offseason like this one where there's an expansion team coming in and there are a variety of different names available who are clearly not Mitch Marner, right? Like there's no Mitch Marner that got exposed yesterday. Obviously not. But an offseason where... Jack Eichel's available, and there are rumors about a million different guys and the amount of movement that we could see over the coming days that it actually makes it harder for Dubas to trade him this year as opposed to other years, or that that it actually it's the opposite, that you have another franchise to trade Marner to, another franchise who actually has a lot of cap space and might look at him as, wow, you could have a face of your franchise and you could reap a lot back and you could end up taking some of their depth pieces that have worked out for franchises like this before, maybe even some draft picks. Who knows? Like, I don't know exactly what the Leafs would covet in a deal, but is it harder or easier, do you think, for Dubas to make a transformational deal in this offseason? You know, I'm going to say it's easier, and not that that makes it easy. It just feels like there is so many moving parts out there. I can't remember a year where so many elite players were available, whether it is someone like Tarasenko or Eichel or, you know, some of these Mm -hmm. bigger names, even the guys Montreal left exposed. Like, there's a lot of teams looking to shed salary, a lot of players looking for changes. It's almost like the culmination of a number of factors, and obviously the flat salary cap is one, and that's forcing a number of things. But I also believe that player empowerment is bleeding its way into the NHL. It's not realized like it is in the NBA, obviously. But I do believe now that there are more players saying, I just, I'm not doing this for my whole career. I'm not playing the good soldier and being miserable. And whether that's Patrick Laine or Max Domi or Josh Anderson mm-hmm. or Pierre Luc Dubois or, you know, like I think players are getting their way when they want out of town now uh, a little bit more. Um, Eichel obviously being one of them right now. And I, I think there's, there's more accepted player movement. So I think there's people who want to move and I think that makes moves easier to make because it's not like everyone's dug in and set with their rosters and not looking to do anything right now. Yeah. I just, this this is the way that I keep coming back to and this is sort of the big question of the segment I kind of, well, I wanted and I envisioned with you today, which is just how are we going to define success for the Leafs over the coming days? Because it's really hard for me to 
look at stuff like, wow, you added Jared McCann and you lost Zach Hyman and now you have money to play with somehow and think, okay, um, the Leafs are the same-ish, maybe probably worse. We were all saying Hyman's one of the most important players on the team last year. There's still a Riley trade to be potentially had out there. Like, If we all believe that getting ahead of the market matters and if we all believe that right now is going to be a busy time don't we actually have to see something to say this was a successful week for the Leafs this week yeah it's it's tough right like the difference between you know expectations for for what would be a success I imagine is different internally and from us because again let's say that I'm right in what I said earlier about Dubas and believing in the team he had and that they got unlucky like he may not see he may see them in a position where they have to fill holes to get back to where they were like they they need Hyman to be replaced uh you know Anderson I don't think they see him as a loss they got goaltending you know, so I, I don't know that Dubas thinks that they need to have a huge overhaul. I think he, th- he recognizes they need to have a step. But for you and I, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, what assessment have we made of this team that we think they need to get better? You know, for me, it's depth at forward that isn't the really old guys. I would love, I would just love to see the Leafs get someone who played on the fourth line, forecheck, and ran into people. <laughs> you know, just a high-energy player who just like just a wrecking ball who could kill some penalties. I don't know. I need to sit down exactly who. Am I talking about Casey Zizekas or someone like that? Probably. Like, it yeah. just feels like I, I don't – we really need to assess what you consider a success. And to do that, you have to figure out what you think was lacking. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't lacking a ton for me. But when you look at the playoffs and the teams that had success, I can't help but take away that some sort of size and physicality would help. So this is it. This is where I wanted to be. I think goaltending is going to be very simple. Like, that's the thing I believe you can almost leave last because there's just so many moving parts, right? Mm-hmm. Seattle might take Carey Price this week. Um, the list of unprotected goalies is I love Mark Bergman, by the way. He's just like, yeah, take our guys. I, they're yeah. super broken. You want them? I dare yeah, you. Their I, contracts are yeah. huge. They're broken. <laughs> I, I want to talk about the price thing later because I, yeah. I think that there's another layer to it that I find fascinating. But there's just so many goalies out there right now and some that don't even have contracts, whatever. There's other guys that are rumored to be available in trade. You know, Frank Cervelli was on the show last week saying that, you know, uh, Kemper might be the guy that Toronto's targeting. And I go, okay, great. Like, to me, that's the one you can actually afford to be somewhat patient with. Maybe don't be last, but maybe you also don't need to be first because there's just so many names that I would say with Jack Campbell, that should be pretty good. You're not going to be in a position, I don't think, anyways, where you're going to feel like the Leafs have the best goaltending in their division or in the NHL or anything like that. But can you be above average? I think pretty easily. And that the state of goaltending is good. And that a lot of fans are like terrified about the goaltending to an extent because they remember the years where it was Freddie Anderson and nobody. But that's actually when they did the worst work, right? was in season trying to find these guys early on. And teams are going, well, we're not moving anything to you right now. Like, we need these guys too. Like, we've Mm -hmm. set up our goaltending situation for a reason. But during the offseason, right now, this year, tons of guys available – I actually like that spot as somewhat easy to fill on, I don't want to say the the cheap, but on the affordable. The blue line is good, right? You've protected four guys on your blue line, and I, I think we all like them. And the Morgan I think the Riley blue line trade, is good enough to win with. You can win with that right? blue line. The blue line is solid. I Years and years and years, people complaining about the blue line. The blue line is quality. I love this top four. It's the biggest problem I have. I think actually the biggest question mark of the offseason is, what makes you better if you're trading Morgan Riley? And I've been a proponent of, you know, jump Sandine up and push people, but like make all of a sudden the top pairing Muzzin and Hall. But then like, it's just, it's not that easy. <laughs> it's not, no. I don't think that straightforward as I once made it seem it was that you're actually improving or that you're actually getting better. The bigger conversation is about whether it makes sense from an asset standpoint. But with the forward group, that's the part. That's the part of the equation is like, how do the Leafs get better there? And if you do have McCann, that's a nice piece. Like, that's a nice additional piece. But it's also, like, not the cheapest one. You're going to add Nick Robertson. But to me, it's like, what is a successful week? What is a successful look for the Toronto Maple Leafs? It's adding forwards. And it's adding depth forwards. I just don't know 
how they're going to be able to do that or who, again, is out there that I believe makes sense or who actually changes the composition of the group. I wonder, you know, I wonder about a number of things. First off, like, I, it's tough to have the conversation when it's like a really nice, well-liked guy and whatever, but like, I don't love the Wayne Simmons return. Um, you know, that feels like a regular season move and seems like something that maybe the guys liked in the dressing room because the, he protects them and whatever. It's not, not going to sink him or anything, but I didn't seem to be the answer for me in playoffs. Um, well, the good thing is they can bury it, right? And yep. I, I don't know if that is actually a thing they would ever do like before a season or however it works, but they they can bury it if it doesn't work out. I'm guessing that there is more of an understanding with the player at this point that he got that money, he got that extra year, almost with like, hey, you get more of a chance to be in the NHL, but also part of this is you, you got to be a little bit more flexible on what your role could end up being, right? Like, I, I just can't imagine that not being a part of the discussion after what happened this right. last year. Yeah, he's making 900 uh, per season with a no-trade clause. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be interesting. Spezza coming back, you know, I'm good mm-hmm. with – he's just been so good for this team. It's impossible to knock that. You know, let's not overthink it. He's a good player. They kept a good player. You know, mm-hmm. beyond that, you know, is is it going to be Nick – Adam Brooks? No, I don't – that's not the answer for me. Nick Foligno, what's he going to cost? You know, some of these guys, Thornton and Nash and Galchenyuk, like, I, that's where you got to be different. Like, yeah, I don't want to see Alex Galchenyuk back as, as good as he was for the Leafs. It, they, they just need – he does – it's not that he's not good enough to play in the league. He's redundant. Yeah. God, that overtime turnover is really tough to shake, too. I don't know about yeah. you, but that one, that mm-hmm. one I can't move on. Um, The Leafs, the Galchenyuk experiment was successful because he came in and he gave them points. And ultimately, if you told me that Galchenyuk was this team's, you know, 14th, four, like if he was all of a sudden in your Nick Patan role, where it's kind of like, hey, he's around. <laughs> know, like this guy, in. Yeah, this guy, if there's an injury to a certain place, you can go out and pluck him. I would say, okay. But the idea of having him just in your top six is a complete non-starter for me. Um, your team has to be different somehow. Like, again, the one thing that you have to acknowledge if you're Kyle Dubas is that luck played a part, but also there were some flaws to your roster with the depth and the way that those guys would play. And I keep coming back to the same thing. And this is how I'm going to define my success. Create a third line that has an identity. Because the fourth line, I think, is still going to be the veteran line. I think the fourth line is still going to be Jason Spezza, Wayne Simmons, and then a combination of guys that are either like the Adam Brooks types, you know, where, hey, this is someone who is good in the AHL and we're going to give him a crack and Sheldon Keefe likes to keep fresh bodies in there and he likes to have competition at the bottom of the lineup. And so that final spot is always going to be, I would think anyways, a rotation piece. And that the identity of the fourth line is just simply one name. It's Jason Spezza. That's your identity of the fourth line. Mm -hmm. Your leader, your, uh, I don't know, um other assistant captain, your your everything guy when it comes to being so, a leader of this group? So then your third line is now Mikheyev, yes. Engvall, and whoever. No. And, 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 and I'm saying all those guys it. go. And that's what I'm saying. All those guys go. And I love Mikheyev, and I have for a long time. But I would have to imagine that he carries some sort of value, right? That you've got to trade Mikheyev and say, you know what, man? Um, Love the game. You can play in this league very clearly. But the lack of goal scoring and the lack of physical play um, can't have it. And that's why, I, like, I hate to say this, but like, when I really look at this team, I would say that the first piece of business I would be doing is getting rid of the Engvall contract, getting rid of the, yeah, uh, getting rid of the Mikheyev contract, and then re-signing Nick Foligno and saying Nick Foligno is one of the pieces on this third line. Let's go out and find the other two. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure what Felino has left. I'm not opposed. I like I like Nick Felino, and I think there's something there. Depending totally depending on price, um, right? Mm, the, so I think he's going to cost you somewhere like to get him to stay out of Columbus or to chase another opportunity. You got to imagine that it's like around the three. And yes, okay. So mm-hmm. my case for him is just this: is that of course he would be more expensive and he would definitely be someone that the analytics guys would hate because they would point to the offensive decline but that's not why I'm signing him I'm signing him because I know he can bang home a goal that he can provide some offense but that I don't need it but ultimately what I'm getting is a guy 
that I thought I was getting at the deadline. Like if you're Kyle Dubas and the reasons that you wanted to get Felino at the deadline should be the same reasons that you want to keep him now is that ideally he's someone who can play up and down your lineup in a pinch. He can anchor or not, shouldn't maybe say anchor, but be a defining piece on your third line, provide you with some snarl, provide you with a guy that everyone likes and someone who, yeah, who still at least has some ability to score, but ultimately is going to bring you high level defensive play but just with a little bit more bite than someone like Mikheyev. How about this? How about, you know, the, the money Zach Hyman was going to get was 5-5 five, five mm-hmm. or something like that. Was that I think not it's going to we be closer to 6. I think it's going to be closer to 6. Okay. So mm-hmm. we discussed, could you make that work? When a lot, of, a lot of the conversation was yes, but you don't want to go to the term you're going to have to do to get it. You know, maybe you could do it in a short-term deal. Yanni Gord. Yanni Gord is making five and change. If he's claimed by, he's probably going to be claimed by Seattle, but they have a lot of options. You know, is there a possibility? See, I think Gord has three or four years left on that deal at five million and change. A guy in his mid 20s won a couple of Stanley Cups who Mm -hmm. plays center uh, and could be your third line. If you think you can make that money work, what what do you have to do? Do you have to get rid of Alex Kerfoot? How do you get that into your lineup? Because, like, God, just watching that Coleman Goodrow Gord line, and this is what happens every year, right? Those a line plays well, everyone tries to replicate it, tries to get it, whatever. But I've just been a Gord guy from the beginning, and like that to me solves all your problems. And I know, I know it's expensive, but you know, if if that's where you think you're lacking, maybe that's where you go out and hunt. So, a couple of problems I would think of just and that would bar you from this is one. That yeah, like you mentioned, it Seattle's probably looking at him saying uh, all those things that you just mentioned, Justin Bourne. That's yeah, why we're going to take him it. for free. <laughs> yeah, like everyone yeah. looked at it and goes, "Well, why not? They take they take Kalorn and then they can put him on LTIR and then they have Kalorn." I'm like, Pilata no, there, yeah, yeah, but I'm it's still an abs- that that is the easiest decision that I think you can make. <laughs> is yeah, you're frustrated that you can't just sacrifice another team and say, "Hey, what if we can't pick from three teams, but we get two picks from one team?" Because <laughs> you'd love yeah. to pick twice from Tampa <laughs> yeah. Bay. Like, is there yeah. some type of a move I we know. can make here where we get multiple guys from them? Because we would like that, please. Yeah. Um, so, and there's also if you want to make the real case is that if you're Seattle, you say we're actually going to take Kalorn and we're putting him on LTIR, which means you guys can't. Which also means that you still have to sacrifice another body. So we'll yeah. not only take Kalorn, we'll give you a trade something back to you, but we're also taking Gord. And you actually do find a way to get both. I don't know. I've, I, that's what I would think of if I was Ron Francis. I'd be trying to get two guys from that organization and, and build, um, build out like some of their best guys. As Quick your sidebar. Yeah. How, how, yeah, yeah. how badly do you think Tampa Bay's list of unprotected players beats Buffalo's best team? Oh, like, sweet. It's a sweep. Yeah. Especially since all the Buffalo guys don't even play in it because they're all like, we don't want to be here. We're actually just like not risking injury. <laughs> like they don't, they're not, they're not suiting up. I can't uh, think of a, there's like one guy that cares about Buffalo, Dylan Cousins. And then the rest of them are like, yeah, I don't care about this place. Like I'll, I I'll legit, take a trade. I, li- I looked at the list of Buffalo's protected players and I was like, what? That's yeah. their best guys? And then I looked at yeah. Carolina's unprotected guys, and it's like Jake mm-hmm. Bean and Nito Niederreiter and Jake Gardner. I was like, their unprotected players beat Buffalo. And then I saw Tampa's, yeah. and oh, boy. Oh Dude, boy. this Buffalo is what I was saying here. about – this is what I was saying about the Leafs earlier, though, where I, I was like, you know, if you're complaining about them not protecting Jared McCann um, – that should just be a way for you to understand how poor this team's depth is right now. Like that this team just does not have a lot of depth that you care about a guy that wasn't even on the team 48 hours ago who is just okay. <laughs> you know, like it's just He was traded just for okay the purpose guy. of exposing. They didn't right. trade for him then. Yeah. Oh boy, we can't protect him. Like that's why they got that's what I'm him. Saying. And people are like, wow, they should have protected that guy. And it, you go, uh-huh. And if the Leafs were going to protect seven forwards, could you imagine what that seven forward list would have looked like? It would have been hilarious. Like, uh, you're protecting Jason Spezza, who says he's going to retire. If uh, Like, you would, be doing, you would be doing protections out of just what? Like, hey, you've earned this. <laughs> you know, we want to give you some symbolic protection that was actually never needed. And, yeah, it just – I think it comes back to that same thing is, like, how do you replace – 
Zach Hyman and all of a sudden feel better. To me, it's that third line. I, I do want to quickly, though, before we take a break, and because I, I want to talk about the guys that were exposed and I want to do that Carey Price thing. But if you're not in on Felino, they're going to have one forward of some consequence, right? Like, that's just going to happen. Like, one guy that can either play in the top six or do the back and forth thing, I don't know. I, I think Nick Robertson is just about a lock to make this team from a salary standpoint, but mm-hmm. another left winger that comes in as a Hyman replacement. Um, you never know with this stuff if it's like the most smoke you hear about a player, but there's been a lot of smoke about Bertuzzi. And if the Leafs acquire Tyler Bertuzzi, how do you feel about him as a, a top six guy, or do you feel better about him as a third line guy? Well, I, I you know, it does kind of check the box of something they're looking for, like a guy who plays with some grit and some edge and they'll play in the blue paint and can score some goals like it's 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 pretty good fit uh, I you know I'd be quite happy with that as a as a replacement you just watching playoffs you know it's always good to have these conversations right after playoffs and just be so wildly blinded by what just happened but he just seems like a guy who would thrive in that environment and I don't know why I think of Corey Perry a little bit but just that sort of skilly gritty guy who finds you one in those tough moments I mean sure uh, an addition like that would be wildly welcome um, I am curious to see I think it's going to say a lot about what Dubas thinks happened in this past postseason what happens in the next week here it's going to reflect strongly on that I also the Zach Hyman replacement thing is really tough for me because all I can think of is it doesn't matter what you replace him with you're getting something less and so it just feels like such a shoulder shrug move where you go like Tyler Bertuzzi's like that's fine I guess because you don't have a lot of money you don't have a lot of flexibility and so if you can get somebody with NHL skills or an NHL something it's kind of like okay good Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There is an element of that, I guess. But you know, they, it's important that they get someone who can, you know, who can do a li- at least a little bit of what Hyman did. Because there's so often we were just saying how important he was to this team and what he brought to every line. So yeah, hopefully it's not a shoulder shrug move. Before you go to I, break, yeah. I just wanted to note: uh, Did you? I, I saw an article today on what expansion drafts looked like when Ottawa and Tampa picked in ninety two, ninety three. You know, they, they got to protect 14 players and two goalies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't that absurd? Yeah. They got everyone's um, 15th best player. Uh, anyway. Well, how much was it? What was the cost, though, of buying an expansion franchise, though? That's the difference, right? It's like now you're it's asking like these guys meal. to spend. Yeah, that's it. Now you're asking. You're basically begging for expansion. You wanted expansion. It was probably so much cheaper. Now guys look at it and they say, how much money am I spending? And you just yeah. want me to suck for how many years and right. not be able to build out a fan base in this new place? Like One of the things I think we learned about expansion is you actually can build incredible markets with well maybe Vegas is an outlier but still you have a better chance of building a real fan base with a team that's halfway competitive and interesting out of the gate rather than just simply saying hey fans come pay these exorbitant ticket prices um, in a super competitive marketplace and come watch your team get embarrassed night in night out with the possibility of getting a draft pick someday like that seems kind of BS so yeah yeah, I would expect that the Kraken are decent right away which is why I think they should take Carey Price Um, let's talk about that next okay let's talk about that next uh, on Good Show on Sports (laughs) F5 Night of the Fan All right, it's good show on Sports F5 Night of the Fan. I'm JD Bunkus. Shoot me a message all week on Instagram at JD Bunkus or on Twitter. Same thing. Um, yesterday was hilarious because on social media, everyone acted shocked. Kill surprise. That the players that were available to the Seattle Kraken, there actually were some people available that was good. It's like, yep. A lot of teams are going to choose only predicting eight players, which means there was going to be a lot of good ones available. And my favorite moment of the day was when everyone pretended to be surprised that the Montreal Canadiens would expose Carey Price after a year and a half of discourse around how the Montreal Canadiens were going to expose Carey Price and his contract to Seattle and could he be the face of this franchise for Seattle. Um, Just amazing stuff. Just amazing, amazing, amazing exercises in recency bias. Justin Bourne, was there any name that actually surprised you yesterday? Was there actually a player where you went, wow, okay, um, didn't see that coming? 
Well, you know, what Montreal did was definitely the worst, the most noteworthy, but probably Vladimir yeah. Tarasenko just because he has value. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how hurt this guy is. I know he wants out, but, like, I can't believe that St. Louis couldn't trade him for an asset as much as they maybe wanted to move on and, you know, they, they weren't liking what was coming back. It just it felt to me he's the most talented guy that would have been available for an asset. Um, I don't know. Was there, was there a name that stood out for you? That's what I'm I, – I'm not surprised by any of the names. The only one the, – yeah. the thing about Tarasenko to me is – I have just heard for way too long about how uncomfortable that situation was in in St. Louis. That even during a year where they're winning a Stanley Cup, um, yeah, there just wasn't a lot of happiness. And there wasn't a good fit. And I think at this point, that organization looks at it like, considering his contract and his production and the rep, what were they actually going to get back for him? Right, like it's a flat yeah. salary cap, and when there's someone like Jack Eichel out there, why would I give up anything to take Vladimir Tarasenko when he costs your team a ton of money and you do not want him back? Like it's, in fact, it's completely untenable. So I don't really think that there is value there. And if I'm Seattle, okay, I'll take him, but I'm not looking at it as some sort of a huge coup, considering how right. much he has to get paid and that he was really pissy in his last spot. So how about this? There's there's a couple of players where teams did really clever work to almost force Seattle to take them. Uh, those guys being Max Domi and Jason yeah. Zucker. Both guys who are making, I think, or five and change next year. Mm-hmm. I have to look that up. Um, but I think it was a- around there for both guys. And they basically said, there's no one else available to you. So yeah. Columbus is about to turn Josh Anderson into nothing. Yep. Um, and yeah, you know, and the Zucker thing is basically like Pittsburgh is like, we don't want this contract on our books. No. You know, go ahead and have them, but we just want it off our books. So I thought th- those guys were surprising in terms of like that the teams were able to shape their protected list in a way that forced Seattle to take mm-hmm. pretty not great contracts off their hands. Yeah, I just looked at it more as like, hey, the teams that are good and have depth are going to have players they have to expose. Yeah. And. So when I really looked at who they protected, I never, I didn't find anything egregious. I didn't find a single case where I thought, "Wow, that is mm-hmm. un, like that's truly unbelievable." I would say that if anything, the most "quote unquote" surprising to me was the whole Nashville protecting five defensemen thing and letting Johansson yeah. like that he was unprotected because I kind of figured, well, if I'm Seattle and there was a big contract that's out there, I, w- I would consider taking him. But again, I have no idea what happened in Nashville this year because all I watched was the North Division until the playoffs. So I'm like, maybe he sucks. Yeah. I have to like yeah. look up his numbers. <laughs> to me, the the guy I was weirdly most excited about, because you know how you just have your guys around sports that you have a rational faith in who you think are really good and might not be Andreas as good as Janssen? you think. But you, <laughs> yeah, but, but at least Andreas Janssen was here and we watched him a ton and yeah. we had belief in why he would be good. For me, that's Nino Niederreiter. Where yeah. I'm always like, I've always, I, I'm, I'm like, why is Nino Niederreiter not a better player? I guess I don't watch enough of him because when I do, like he creates offense, he's solid. Dude, he depth, scored 20 like, in 50 games last year. That's that's what I'm saying. I, I don't know. I just always look at that guy as an undervalued piece, but there's got to be a reason why he's moved and how he's not protected. But anyway, out of all the lock of lock guys that um, my franchise would be taking on unprotected lists, he would have been... Um, a very, very quick, um, we're taking that dude. So, yeah, I liked his name. But the Carey Price thing, do you think they should take him? Because it's very clear Montreal would actually love love them to take him. Yeah. Think so? Here's here's what I think. I think that this can let Montreal uh, off the hook that you're right, that they would like him to take him and let them off the hook for that contract, that they probably are closer to where I am and not believing that the next five years of Carey Price is going to be worth $10.5 million AAV on your cap hit. Um, I don't think they should take him uh, because I'm not a huge... I'm not someone who believes that this team should try to come out and win the Stanley Cup. I think there's got to be some long-term pitcher, and I think in two years, Carey Price is coming off knee and or hip surgery, depending on what you think is going to happen this season at his age. I just don't think it's going to be good, man. I just don't think it's going to be a good use of salary cap. I absolutely love Bergevin just being like, 
you know, we're going to protect the players, you know, as many players as we can, because you can't take Shea Weber or Carey Price. You can't tell me no. Shea Weber four more years at like eight million bucks per is going to provide you good value on that money after who knows what's going to happen with his body this offseason. So I, I like what Bergevin did, but I don't think they should take either guy. Shea Weber is a complete non-starter. Like, they're obviously not going to take him. That would be insane. Right. But Carey Price, man, I am into it. Okay, all right. here's the case. All right. Here's the case. First of all, they have a million goalies they get to draft. Seattle should be able to have three good goalies next year. They're going to have draft more than that. And then, you know, the guy Toronto probably trades for is a trade back from Seattle. There's some organizations where it's pretty clear that that's the most valuable piece that you can get. And I, it's weird because I look at it like, you know, the guy in your football fantasy draft that takes a bunch of quarterbacks and thinks he's going to be able to trade the quarterbacks, but then ends up having to like drop them all on waivers two weeks into the season because <laughs> he doesn't have a person to play in the first week of the bye. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel if they do too many goalies. But I still feel like there's a number there where they can grab quite a few and have value and be still in a strong position. The case for Carey Price is pretty simple. One, we talked about it. You want to be able to go to the arena and watch somebody. And what, what better way to sell someone on thing than the guy that carried a team to the Stanley Cup playoffs last year? I actually believe that you can do both things. And that Vegas did have both things. Um, they had a lot of prospects. They had a lot of draft picks. They are still even exempt from this list, which seems even more unfair now considering how successful they are. But... Just when I look at these teams, I don't think Montreal or sorry that Seattle needs to take a lot of these contracts. Like, there's so many that are out there that I do think are bad. And I saw someone tweet this. I wish I could remember who it was, but it was a great point, right? It was an incredible point, which was just simply don't acquire anybody through expansion draft that you could end up taking on a draft pick to acquire uh, the following day, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are these contracts actually negative value? And there's a lot of those out there, right? Mm -hmm. Like, people look at some of these deals and they say, wow, that guy's available? And you go, yeah, because of his number, because that's what it is. And it's, again, yeah, it's a flat cap. Sucks. Yeah. Right, his deal sucks. But Carey Price is one where the deal sucks, but also, <laughs> but also, I don't think Carey Price is going to finish the contract. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Talking. I feel like I feel like there's a potential that age 37, 38 Carey Price is like an LTIR guy, or that at least there's real potential for one of his seasons to be LTIR, or two of his seasons to be LTIR. I, I do we really believe that he's going to hold up no. for another five seasons? I do not. I don't think so either. I don't think so either. I don't know if he's going to be the type of guy who just takes that willingly, like. Um, if he's someone who keeps trying to battle back and he wants to be a part of the game, but I also don't know, man. Like he's just such he's a gonna cool do dude. whatever the heck he wants. You know what right. I will say though? That, you know, I, a lot of people are getting blinded by the Mark Andre Fleury experience and going, you know, oh, you know, look, look at what Vegas did with Fleury. Let's be clear, Fleury, but who just did he win the Vesna Trophy? I think he won the Vesna Trophy. Mark Andre Fleury, flexible, young, healthy. You know, the, this guy, his whole career, very little injury issues. Also. He's a big, outgoing personality and embrace the spotlight. And you talk about going to the rink and watching a guy and, like, he's a showman. Like, Carey Price is a quiet, subdued guy with hip and knee issues with five years. I just can't see a way. I just I can't see a way. It I see is. the opposite. Where I look at it and say, this is the coolest guy on in hockey. <laughs> Like, I don't. Yeah. Who's more respected oh, in hockey no than Carey Price? No doubt he's cool, but I don't need to watch cool. Give me the, give no, me no, the but, entertainer. But who's more, who's more respected in the game? Sid? Who else? Sid? Then Carey Price? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's in that group of guys. Right. It's like there's a small, elite group of players that are the most respected in hockey, and he is in that group. You bring him to Seattle, and all of a sudden there is a feeling of we are here to win. We are here to actually move the ball forward. The other part is is that you should – like going back to the goaltending point, you should be able to have enough talent around Carey Price where you get to do the thing that Montreal tried to do this season, which was not make him play a lot of games and allow him to have a little bit yeah. of a lesser – 
um, meaning to your organization and to your franchise. I, I actually think that Montreal wants this, but also it would be a horrible black eye for Montreal to have Carey Price be unprotected and walk away for free. They would say, hey, this is good for hockey. And I agree because you can't have Carey Price and Shea Weber on the books and expect to win. It just you, Maybe you can, but this is kind of the time where you need to do it, where you've got cheap Suzuki and cheap Caulfield and you hit on something else and who knows how it works. But you're working within very, very fine margins. But either way, it's kind of like you let an all-time great who just yeah. carried you walk away. Like you gave him the bad oh, it'd deal. Be bad. Now it's kind it of would be sour, really yeah. bad, I think, from a perception yeah. standpoint. I, oh, I also think it would be. Montreal, like this is, by the way, also sucks at signing free agents. Like people don't want to go there in the first place. And you think that they let Carey Price walk for nothing and players around the league aren't going to take note of that? They absolutely are. They absolutely are. This is like a big ego thing that, like, they, there was apparently some attempt at a deal between Bergevin and Francis about them not taking Allen if they left him unprotected, mm-hmm. and they couldn't reach a deal. And they said, "Fine, then we're going to protect Allen. See if you want this price deal. He's hurt, by the way. Surgery, yeah. knees, hips." And then, like, it's this whole big bluff thing that if it comes back to bite him, it's going to look really bad on mm-hmm. Bergevin, and Montreal fans are not going to be happy. So I, I'm. I'm very excited to see how this all plays out because it's a it's a big bluff saying yeah he's out there and he's hurt do you want him it's a big deal yada yada. I just think that they can actually build this roster pretty quickly and that the NHL has already shown you in a cap league how easy it is. I don't want to say to win but to be competitive like very quickly, and that having a guy that if you rest and you properly maintain going into the playoffs and you get him hot at the right time, all of a sudden you're going on a playoff run. Yeah, you want a guy for $10.5 million, you got to play 44 times because he's that fragile? Is that good? It's not great, but of all the teams to do it, (laughs) but of all the teams to do it, it's the one that completely gets to control all of their salary. Like, just when we were talking about Ryan Johansson, right, where it's like, oh, he's $8 bucks or whatever, and I go, oh, that's pretty good. Like, I wouldn't mind him on the team. I think that Carey Price can have more of an impact on winning than he can. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I do. Oh, I think sure. that for ultimately, sure Carey Price, if you can get him there, could potentially put Seattle into the mix of maybe winning a cup over the next two or three seasons. And By could you way, imagine? This is why I love this the most. The shame it would bring to Montreal if Carey Price won a Stanley Cup in Seattle. Oh, like, that, that, that to me is like probably 99% of the reason behind this take, but it's still a part of the take, baby. Like, I'm actually doing gestures yeah. with my hands right now that they're just doing a weird thing out of excitement of that potential. <laughs> but I just. I don't know. I, I think that you get a face of the franchise. You get an all-time respected player. You create an immediate culture in your room, and you have an immediate guy who is the like forward-facing player. You, and you have someone who can help you win in the next two years. And maybe the contract ends up getting buried anyways, and who cares? It's just money. I, and it, the salary is not that high, by the way, right? Because like, the money was all paid up front. And I know that no one cares about that, but it does matter for an owner if you're Seattle, knowing that sure. you're only paying... Yeah, he's not going to cost like you $55 million. million. No, it's, it's not 10 a year. That's the cap. Okay. He's getting paid something stupid like, uh, uh, I think, $2 million at most a year. I'm just saying, I think that there's something to it. And if we're talking about Seattle trying to win, I I don't hate it. There's other ways that they could that they could use that cap space where I would be looking at it and saying, hmm, um, maybe you should have just taken Carey Price, and maybe you By should have had one of the best players in hockey. If, if there's ever been a time, if you're curious which media members have sources where, it's been it was really funny after Price was left unprotected, seeing the like in-depth injury reports from certain media members who are just like, yeah, uh, he's really broken, his knee hurts, his hip hurts, he's going here, like all you can see Bergevin like immediately disseminating information to people, be like, let the world know how badly hurt this guy is. You know, you say you know that you think that they want Seattle to pick Price. I think a lot of that information that came out was them being like don't do it don't do it and that's the big bluff it's a fascinating game of chicken i love it i gotta run this was an amazing segment i love doing this with you buddy and uh yeah i'll talk to you very soon i'll talk to you next week all right buddy sounds great enjoy it justin Bourne, uh, nhl and sports and hockey central